0: while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The word of God for the people of God. had a great weekend uh, with Tom Hall. He's my friend from the Dallas-Fort Worth area and I've known him for a lot of years and you know every time we've had a conference or he spoke at a conference or something I was able to discuss the word afterwards a lot of times with him. He always made himself available to me. He might not remember all those times but I do <laughs> where he came up and, or I asked a question and he was able to further Uh, expound on God's word with me and so I'm just praying that you all are blessed by, by him his ministry as I've been over the last 15 20 years of knowing him so I just want you all to welcome Tom Hall to bring the word today Left. Here we go. Thank you. So, um, anyway, I have uh, great love and esteem for Bobby and as I know you do, and uh, Teresa and their ministry here. And uh, I I hope you guys uh, uh, specifically thank God for the blessing of being cared for by uh, Bobby and Rifle and the heart that they have for Him and for you. Um, I travel, and uh, I know lots of people who would love to uh, have the grace that God has given you as a church here. And uh, I thank God for it. And I'm happy for you. So, um, I don't know if you noticed, but... uh, It seems like it's getting harder and harder to pay attention. I remember when I was a kid, I think it was one of my uncles. I was around a lot of uh, just salt-of-the-earth country folk who had quaint ways of saying things. And um, I I think I remember one of my uncles saying, uh, Yeah, when I was growing up, we were so poor, we couldn't afford to pay attention. Right? (laughs) And uh, I remember thinking that was kind of funny when I was a kid. And then I thought about it later and just kind of turned it around and thought, you know, it really is good news. Nobody is too poor to pay attention. Right? It is one of the few things in your life you have a measure of control over. Where your attention is focused. And uh, the challenge we have in stewarding that freedom is, I believe, one of the greatest challenges we face in our contemporary uh, situation of following Christ. When the writer of Hebrews was addressing the original congregation that received these messages that we call the book of Hebrews, I think of the book of Hebrews as kind of a, a pastiche of sermons, right? And... Um, He was talking to a group of people. We can tell if we read the whole book, which we're not going to do today. But he was talking to people who were struggling to pay attention well. Their attention was being diverted. They were being distracted from the message of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus Christ and his availability, and his sufficiency. And some things don't change. (laughs) Right? The writer of the book of Hebrews spends this whole marvelous book repeatedly calling his audience back to the main thing. And in the text that we just read, and that we're going to explore together today, I believe you practically have sort of the thesis statement for the book of Hebrews because all of chapter one is a big long glorious introduction and then he finally kind of brings it to here's what I want to talk about for the next 13 chapters okay or for the next 12. So uh, as we ponder it together today and as we ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us from it today I want you to think with me about the topic the title of this message the company of the attentive i think it's clear that this passage is calling god's people to as a group be attentive to what they know here's one of the temptations i think we face in our culture we live in you know the information economy right and uh, there is always more information There's always more research you could do. There's always more you could find out before you have to make a decision. Uh, We are inundated with information. And I think that we often fall into the deceitful uh, opinion or the deceitful frame of mind that what we need most is more information. And I propose to you today that in most situations... You are not lacking information. You are misdirecting your attention. For those of us who have heard and responded to the message of Jesus Christ, most of what we face requires, before any new information, it requires attention to what we already know. In fact, much of what we have yet to know lies in the same direction as what we already know, and when we go looking for information elsewhere, it's utterly counterproductive. It begins with a focus of our attention. And so I want us to look at this text together with, those, with that idea in mind. What it, would it look like for Grace Harvest Church for the believers you have fellowship with in other contexts, maybe your extended family, maybe people you work with, maybe people in your neighborhood, right? What would it look like for any group of believers in Christ to become a company of the attentive? Well, the first thing I would uh, say to you from this passage is... That such a company, as such a company, we continually marvel at the Son and His salvation. We continually marvel. Listen, you can't, as a believer in and a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot afford to get over what He has done for you. Right? Right? Job one is to be as impressed today as you were the first day you heard it. And if you're not, saints, that's on you. Because it is no less impressive than it ever was. If you're less impressed, that's on you. That has nothing to do with the thing itself. That has to do with your perception of it. And that perception may be faulty because of your lack of attention to it notice what the writer of hebrews said in verse 1 for this reason we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard more attention to what you've already heard (laughs) right and then well and and let me just remind you if you're familiar with hebrews chapter 1 the way the whole book of Hebrews begins, if you recall, God uh, spoke to us through our fathers in many portions and in many ways. But in these, last day, he, in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Right? That's how the book of Hebrews starts. And now the writer of Hebrews is coming back to that same idea. You have already heard the Son speak. You haven't just heard about the Son, you've heard from the Son. If you're a believer in Christ, it's because one day you heard His voice. One day while a preacher was preaching or while a friend was testifying or while the wheels were coming off on your life, you heard the Son speak. And whatever you knew that day, and by the way, Jesus did this for me when I was five years years old, so I'm proof you don't have to know much. Whatever you knew about this salvation, when you heard Jesus say it to you, you believed. Right? Because it is His saying it that is the thing that changes our hearts. And then notice what he says in verse 3. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The songs we've sung today, the scriptures we've heard, the prayers we've prayed are all helping us refocus, right? Because I don't know about you, I don't know how it works for you, I do know about you, but I don't know how it works for you. Between last Sunday and this, or the last time you got to meet with God's people and today, you've had every opportunity to neglect this great salvation. (laughs) You've had every opportunity to look for rescue from other places. You've had uh, moments when you just needed somebody to come through who promised to do something they haven't done. And to make an idol out of that promise or out of that person. Right? This great salvation we cannot neglect. And then I'll remind you too from the very last verse of chapter 1. After this great uh, uh, comparative passage where the writer of Hebrews has compared the sons speaking to the angels speaking. He gets to the end of it having described the glory of the exalted, uh, enthroned Christ. And he speaks in verse 14 of chapter 1 of those who are going to inherit salvation. It's the first time he actually uses the word salvation. I believe he's been describing salvation throughout the entire previous passage, but he uses the word. So he's calling our attention back to a great salvation. And I'm just going to repeat it, saints, because it's real. Most of the important things about belonging to God and walking with Him and living with Him, most of the important things are really simple. And this is one of those. This salvation is greater than we give it credit for. And many of our struggles, and much of our confusion, and much of our discouragement comes. From the fact that we do not assess it and esteem it as it is. Notice how the writer of Hebrews describes, starting halfway through verse 3, this salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified. By signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. He describes some of the greatness of this salvation and said the first thing that's great about it is its history of coming straight from the lips of Jesus. When Jesus came, he came proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. I'm the king and I'm bringing the kingdom your hearts have longed for. That word of salvation came straight from the lips of Jesus. So it's great in its history. It's great in its transference. How is it that the first hearers of this letter of Hebrews, or even more so for us, it's because those who experienced Jesus attested, testified, confirmed the chain has not been broken the word has been delivered faithfully for two thousand years so that the likes of us are gathered here in Jesus name, pondering that great salvation we have great um, uh, we have great gratitude and great Uh, appreciation for the fact that somebody told somebody who told somebody who told somebody, right? Hebrews is referring to that first generation of apostles. But the apostolic witness has continued through the church of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years. And um, one of my pastors as a boy used to say, God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. And that's what God's been doing for 2,000 years. Through ordinary people like us and through imperfect vessels like Bobby and me, the word has continued to be the word of this salvation has continued. And then God does what only God can do. By the presence and power of His Holy Spirit, He confirms that message, He changes lives. He heals sick bodies. He lifts up and casts down nations. He causes wars and strivings to cease. He is a God who is still in the business of doing great things in human history because of His purposes in salvation and as this message of salvation is preached, we have a great salvation to marvel at. Any problem you have would be helped by refocusing on what you already know about God's salvation through Christ. You're kind of, some of you are hearing me kind of like Naaman when he heard the prophet say, go dunk seven times in the Jordan River. It's like no, my problems are bigger than that, preacher. I I need a new, I need something new. I need something esoteric. I need something fresh. Well, you do need something fresh. You need a fresh dose of what you've already got. Right? Because God has not changed his mind about how he saves sinners. God has not changed his mind about how he rescues broken families. God has not changed his mind about how he can and will honor obedient nations and tribes and peoples. Okay? He's the same God. It's the same message. And he has not changed his mind. When you're feeling overwhelmed, it's usually because you're underestimating who the son is and what he's already accomplished for you when you're feeling overwhelmed as a believer in Christ it's because something is bigger than Christ in your vision at that moment okay i'm not fussing at you i'm just telling you this is how i do it this is how you do it agreed we get over listen i'm not telling you it won't be hard i'm telling you it's the difference between hard and overwhelmed. Do you understand the difference? When you're feeling overwhelmed, it's because something has gotten bigger than this great salvation we're talking about. It's, and this is, by the way, one of the reasons we come to the Lord's table week after week after week. Because the Lord gave us a way to refocus Right? I, he said, I know you. I know, you're, I know you that you are dust. I know that to keep your heart right, you need something to hold in your hand, and something to put in your mouth, and something to ingest into your body to remind you. And that's what we're going to do in just a little bit. We're going to come back. We're going to come back to the touchstone. Amen? Come back to the great salvation. But our text not only encourages encourages us to rekindle that positive vision of the greatness of salvation, but it also reminds us of negative consequences when we don't. We appropriately dread the consequences of losing focus. Now, I am certain that I'm talking mostly to people who have stories to tell about losing focus. All right? And I'm hedging that only because there are some young people here. If you've lived much life at all, and if you've sought to live that life in tandem with Jesus, you've lost that focus. And you've experienced some of the negative consequences, but the writer of Hebrews is telling us about some pretty uh, severe consequences. Notice what he says in um, when he says, "How I'm, I'm sorry." Uh, in verse one, he says, "We must pay attention all the more to what we have heard, so that we will not drift." away How many of you know how it feels when you can feel yourself drifting right rifle prayed such an appropriate prayer earlier because we look around and we we miss people and we wonder are they drifting right are they gone or are they drifting <clears throat> are they on vacation or are they drifting right Because we all know how susceptible we are. And notice he talks about the same thing in verse 3 when he says, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? See, the opposite of paying attention is neglect. Listen, most believers don't go wrong out of hostility. They go wrong out of neglect. life starts to cruise a little bit. Things start to work a little bit. And you start to think you've got this. You've started to think that it does not require the resurrected power of the Holy Spirit to keep you in the way of Christ. You just start to neglect this great salvation. And that's how these negative things begin. That's If you want to nip it in the bud, that's how you nip it in the bud, right? You catch it early. In this passage, we find the first of several times in the letter to the Hebrews that the problem of apostasy from Christ is mentioned. And each time Hebrews talks about the possibility of apostasy, the possibility of falling away, the possibility, what he finally says In in chapter ten, of trampling underfoot the blood of Christ, like that's the most severe expression of it. When it's when it's gone to seed, right? This is the first of those, and each time he comes back to the theme, it's more severely stated, more severely warned. Why? Because just like those of you who have reared children know, what you hope is that you can use the least amount of threat possible. You'd rather not do it with threats, right? You'd like to just remind of natural consequences if you can. I think this is the passage where God is reminding us of natural consequences. And it gets more severe as you read through the book of Hebrews. Does that make sense? The more familiar you are with the book, the more that might make sense. But I want you to see the lesser to greater type of argument that the writer is making because he mentions these angels. And you may wonder, what's up with these angels? Look at what he says in verse 2. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment. So that is the if statement. What's he on about? (laughs) Well, what he's describing, and he is carrying this over. By the way, the chapter divisions are not divinely inspired, okay? So chapter 1 is talking about the mediatorial role of angels, and particularly in first century Jewish devotion, angels were considered to have been mediators of God's law to Moses. Okay, So that when, when Moses encountered Yahweh in Mount Sinai, he was encountering the angel of the Lord. And then sort of, guess what? There was, there was folk theology in the first century too. And some of that folk theology gave angels a really prominent place in the giving of the law. Does that make sense to everybody? That's what he's talking about. He's saying, okay, granted... Angels had a role in the giving of the law. The law they gave, he's already made the point in chapter 1, whatever they gave is not a better message than the message spoken by the Son. Okay? That's, that's chapter 1. Now in this verse what he's saying is, those who neglected the message of the angels by disobeying those laws... Received their just punishment. More so, you see the logic? And this is the after the if clause, right? How shall we escape if we neglect the salvation of the Son? Can we violate what the Son has said? And expect there to be no just punishment. Duh. Right, that's what he's after. And he wants the he wants the household of God to hear that with the seriousness that it entails but let's clarify it you should not read this warning as a threat to your salvation you should read it as a provocation to your attention okay this is not a text that is designed to make you doubt you're a believer It is a text designed to slap you in the face and make you pay attention to what you claim to believe. Do you see the difference? And I know some of you, I don't have to know you well to know, that some of you have read passages like this and just something starts to churn. Because you've got so many reasons to wonder if your faith is adequate. So many reasons to wonder if you're doing it right. So many reasons to wonder if you're in or if you're out, and particularly if you've gotten some pretty bad preaching from people like me. Right? My guild is responsible for a lot of this. And I want to tell you that the warnings of the book of Hebrews are real warnings. But I want you to start with this in mind. They are the warnings of a Heavenly Father who is willing to remind you of the natural consequences of drifting and neglect because He doesn't want you to experience even the preliminary ones. See? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't want you worried about the ultimate ones because you're avoiding the preliminary ones. Amen? Amen? That's what it means to walk in step with the Spirit. You're not asking, how much can I get away with without falling away? You're asking, where do I walk where the kingdom of heaven is already operating? See it? So, we have and should have and must have an appropriate dread of what it means for for us and for those we love to drift the church of jesus needs to be a no drift a no drift zone right the church of jesus needs to be a people and a place and a gathering where drifting is detected and remedied asap we want to be bud nippers any of you know, remember the uh, Mayberry, uh, I mean, the Andy Griffith Show episode where where Barney goes off and nipping things in the bud because Opie started to get in trouble with some of his friends. And Barney's saying, We got to nip this in the bud, Ange. Got to nip it, nip it. So I want to be a bud nipper in the house of God. Right? If something's growing you don't like, nip it. <laughs> right? Get rid of it early. Be, listen, and we'll say more about this in a moment, but the church of Jesus is supposed to be an early detection system for drifters. We're supposed to be engaged with one another. We're supposed to be involved in one another's lives so that we know. How many of you who've walked with Jesus for a while, you have some uh, patterns, shall we say? And anyone who knows you well knows your patterns and could help intervene early in your drift if they knew you. So we have to have a healthy, appropriate dread of what it means to neglect this great salvation. And then finally, Because what I'd like to do is I'd like to take your focus, if it is, on yourself as an individual and move it toward what this means for us as a group, as the people of God. Okay? We mutually remember the message that rescues us. We mutually remember. That's the best way I could find to put it. We help each other remember. Uh number of years ago church joy and i served we had a wonderful team of elders and one of the couples was somewhat older than we are which is they were then how old we are now and uh and they used to laughingly but truly talk about how they were brain buddies between the two of them they could remember most everything they needed to remember Anybody else know that experience? You don't have to be old to experience it, by the way. Uh, If you have enough young kids in your house, that'll do it. Um, What the church has to be is heart buddies. So that the things your heart is tempted to drift away from, your brothers and sisters won't let it. Now, they can't believe for you, but they can remind you. They can bring you back, and, and depending on who you are and who they are, it can be gentle or not. Not all of us respond well to gentle. Anybody? <laughs> Did you notice as we read through the text, probably not, because you unless somebody's trained you to. In those four verses, pretty short text, there are six first-person plural pronouns. We, 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 us, all the way through the passage. This is an exhortation addressed to a congregation. We tend to hear it because we are North American wired people. We hear it as individuals. We hear it as a collection of individuals. We do not hear it as a congregation of saints. I believe we would read the Bible better and passages like this would make a whole lot more sense if we would read it as an exhortation to a congregation that is making each of us responsible for all of us. Now, that assumes you're responsible for yourself, right? But as I was saying to some of us who met yesterday, one of the greatest uh, paradigm shifts for me, having really seriously sought to follow Jesus since I was about nine years old, it dawned on me somewhere in my 40s that life in Christ is a team sport, not an individual sport. And the way you train for a team sport is different than the way you train for an individual sport, right? It's no less taxing on the athlete. It's just a different kind of training. And I think most of us who have taken our faith seriously are most likely to have trained as a golfer, not as a basketballer. Does that make sense? And uh, it's part of your problem. If that describes you, it's part of the problem. Because it's not the right training for the thing. The thing is team. Why does the Bible have all those dozens of one another commands? If you are just a free agent Christian out there taking on hell with a water pistol, Right? If that's the model, why does the Bible speak so much to communities and to peoples and to relationships? Are you you tracking with me? And remember what he said in verse 1. When he said, for this reason, we are to pay attention all the more. How do we do that? Okay, Tom, you've persuaded me. I'm not attentive enough. What do I do? One of the things you do is you embed yourself in the body of Christ so that you are a reminder and a remindee. And a week should not go by that you're not doing both for somebody. Is that practical enough? (laughs) A week should not go by. And by the way, it should happen when we gather, but it should be happening lots of other times too. Particularly if you live with any believers at your house. That would be a good place to start. Particularly if you have any believers in your contacts list. Right after you send the cat picture, send something valuable. (laughs) It has nothing to do with my dislike of cats. As I said before, what's needed is more attention, not new information one way to get more attention is to help each other focus on the only thing that keeps any of us from drifting and coming into just punishment (laughs) wouldn't you rather make the adjustment when it's just a tap on the steering wheel and not a 180 right that's how god intends that's part of how god intends his body to function this this is to me one of the best. If, if Hebrews has been an intimidating book to you, read it through this lens. I think the book of Hebrews is addressed to a congregation, where the where the pastorly writer is saying to those who are trusting Christ, there are those in your midst who are being tempted to fall away from Christ. Don't let it happen on your watch. Because it's awful and here's what it looks like and here's what it sounds like and here's why it's not consistent with the word we've heard from the Son. Does that make sense? Again, the more familiar you are with the book of Hebrews, the more you can evaluate that. But that is what my heart longs for in the churches I have anything to do with. He is provoking us to hear together And to help each other keep our focus on the Son. And if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, and that means the Holy Spirit lives in you as He does in me, you can't hear that and something not flutter in your heart. And even those of you who think of yourself as like really independent and, and super competent. Just ask some people. (laughs) Ask people that you know are for you. And you may find out that other people can see how you're drifting. They're called blind spots. It's the reason we have all those mirrors on our cars. You're not going to make it through life without mirrors. You're not going to make it through life Without people who see your blind spots when you can't see them. And specifically, your blind spots about the Son. And your blind spots about His ways. And your blind spots about His salvation. And how the same one who rescued you is the one who is transforming you. And the one who will glorify you. Right? Right? So, this is just a burden that I have kind of everywhere I go these days. I haven't preached it from this text before, but this is the burden. How can any church, but today this church, be more effective? How do we make this a place where drifting is very unlikely to happen? And if it does happen, it won't happen unseen or unnoticed. Now, this is not the same as being a busybody. It may feel that way. This is people that you've invested in, this is people who know you're for them, this is people who know some of your stuff. It's a whole lot easier to talk to people about their stuff if they know your stuff. Which means the way you foster this is you go first. If you know your patterns, for instance, if you're aware enough to know your patterns, a.k.a. you've listened to your spouse, (laughs) then the people you want to befriend, you can say, hey, we're kind of, you know, we're past just buddies. I want you to know what it looks like when I start to go, run off the rails, because I need you to catch me before I run off the rails. All right? What, could you have those conversations? I mean, are there two or three people you could have those conversations with? Doesn't have to be every. Can't be everybody. Okay. I mean, if this were my home church, not all of you would know my stuff, but some of you would know my stuff. So you can go first, which means I am willing to have this kind of relationship with you. Why? Because I'm as likely to drift as you are. I have as hard a time paying attention as you do. I need your help. And I'm happy to help you when you need mine. Does that sound to you like what Jesus called us to? It does to me. And I think it's an undercurrent of this passage that is often neglected. In a healthy church, the preachers and teachers are not the only ones keeping people's focus on the sun. That's one sign of a healthy church. Is that this is happening laterally, not just from the, from the platform to the congregation, right? You have a part to play in this. To help your brothers and sisters pay attention. It includes gaining everything you can from your own experiences of the sufficiencies of Christ. If, if you don't have any stories to tell of how Jesus has come through for you, you're limited in how you can help others, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a symbiotic thing. Then it involves you paying attention to how your brothers and sisters are doing. And conversations among believers should regularly include this does that not make sense to you so for instance when you see each other and you come early for the service and you see each other and there's a good bit of just catching up that friends do and they and you ought to do but they do that at the rotary club y'all (laughs) right right And then when we dismiss here in a moment, you're going to talk to some people you didn't get to talk to before. And, and, and just monitor whether you're having conversations that take advantage of the fact that you and the person you're talking to have the same hope in life and death. And you're checking each other's hope level. And you're doing anything you can to make it higher when you leave each other than when you found each other. Does that make sense? And you can do that between Sundays with phone calls and with text messages. You know, uh, we have more communication and less community than ever in human history. I think it's a bad stewardship of our communication. (laughs) We're not using our tools To leverage this thing. I don't think they'll ever replace face to face. But I need booster shots between Sundays. Do you? So I just want to encourage you. That there are really down to earth ways. To live what this text is exhorting. There are really practical things you can do. And don't try to do it with everybody. Because you won't do it with somebody and what happens is you get to liken it with somebody and then you find yourself doing it with more than you ever thought you would and more than you ever thought you could and here's the thing about the holy spirit he's a really good personnel manager and if everybody's doing what he says nobody will be left out do you trust him for that If everybody is responding to the Holy Spirit's prompting, who do I need to get more deeply involved with than I am now? I just trust the Holy Spirit. And by the way, this is part of the oversight of elders. But I trust the Holy Spirit to get most of it covered without anybody in charge having to do anything. Because He loves us better than our pastors do. Right? Right? In a moment, we're going to come to the table of the Lord. And I want you to picture with me as we do what it means that all of us, from the paths we've walked and the paths we're walking, are coming to the same person. And we are coming because we are persuaded that our only hope in life and death is that shed blood and that broken body. That is our testimony, each of us. It's me, O Lord. (laughs) Not my brother, not my sister. It's me, O Lord, standing in the need of what your broken body and your shed blood has made available to me. And so we come with a sense of personal desperation. And when we come, we find other desperate people who share the same desperate joy in finding Jesus. And that's what it means to be God's people. And we get to enact that and review it and renew it and remember it today in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's do that together. I want you to stand with me. So you've got you've got those right there with you, right? This is mine. Okay. okay um, so everybody does this a little differently, but they asked me to do it, so we're going to do it my way. <laughs> I want you to take. The bread representing the broken body of Jesus Christ. And before we take it together, I want you to repeat a confession after me. So I'll be feeding it to you line by line, All right. Uh, As you know, uh, one of the names for this meal is the Eucharist, the Thanksgiving. So we're going to focus on Thanksgiving, okay? So join me. Lord Jesus, we thank you. For this your broken body, broken Broken for us that we might be holy, broken for us that we might be one, one. We we take it and eat it in remembrance of you. And then join me in taking the cup. And repeat after me, Lord Jesus, we give you thanks thanks. for this your shed blood, shed Shed for the remission of our sins, shed for our our cleansing, Shed cleansing. Shed shed that we might share your life. We take it and drink it in remembrance of you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Let's sing together.